so I am Bobby, and I'm supposed to tell you guys a little bit about me, so I'm going to do that briefly. Um, let's see, fun facts about me. Um, I am married to my husband, Ron. I said this last time, but I'm going to do a little repeat on a few things. Um, we've been married for 25 years. We have 12 children together, six boys and six girls. And my oldest is 23, my youngest is two. And my family is still growing. Tonight up here I have my daughter-in-law, Becca, and I am going to be a grandmother this summer. Yes, I am. And um, we've been at Blue Ridge for about four years, and um, we love it. God's really growing us here. Um, he's challenging us, and it's been a place to rest, and it's been a place to really go deep in ways that we didn't anticipate and understand. Um, and I'll, this is not a fun fact, but it's definitely a fact, and it's super fun for me. Um, but this is real. A few months, weeks to months after we started coming to Blue Ridge, I began praying for all of us in here. And that was just something that the Lord started in me. Um, not being involved in hardly anything here, and really being told by him, I felt, to just wait and just kind of lay low for a while. But I began praying for all of us. And um, I, I tell you guys that tonight because he's constantly trying to push us outside of where we're comfortable. And I'm learning through being here in this community, one of the really important things is learning to say yes to him. And so as he has us in scary places, whether it's me standing here, this is not my comfort zone. Um, I am definitely a homebody, and um, I like to stay at home with my kids. And we have goats. We had a goat explosion this week. We had, I think, seven or nine. I don't even remember how many born this week because there was a little bit of NICU going on with that. But I want to say that you guys have been in my heart, and the Lord has placed you in my heart, and I think that's a miracle, and he does things like that for us. Um, and I love you all, and that is all to the work of him. And so tonight, we're getting ready to talk about another thing, pornography, which has me once again on the ledge and on the precipice of saying yes, not only to um, being vulnerable with you about some of our story, but also um, tackling a difficult topic, one that is kept in the dark a lot in the church. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do. I would like to break our talk into four sections tonight. I want to start with talking about our problem, then I want to talk about our enemy, and then we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk at our tables and discuss the things that we've learned. And then I want to come back and talk about our identity, and our strategy before we break out into discussion again. More than anything I want for all of us, I want for myself and for every person in this room, is that we would be able to say, Jesus, you have all of me. And so tonight I'd like to just go ahead and pray and ask him to start that work, continue that work, and finish it in each one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every woman that you brought here. Each one is precious, but not only that, each one is here because you have us here. And so I'm asking you to do a work through your spirit and through your word in each one of us. 
Would you take your word and would you send it forth and do what you do with it and help it to plant and root and grow so that we can produce fruit and good works. And so your name would be great to all those who encounter us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some friends of ours, um, a man and a woman that we knew many years ago, they, with stars in their eyes, met each other in a church group, I think. And they were a young, um, ambitious ministry couple getting ready to go into pastoral ministry. They got married, they did everything right. They uh, even saved their kids for their wedding day and they were just zealous for doing everything right. Fast forward that to about 10 years later and my husband and I sat as we listened to this woman pour her heart out um, about the pornography that had been the third entity in their marriage from day one. And she had been battling to get rid of this, all the while trying to pursue a ministry that, of course, never got off the ground. And as my husband went and spoke with this man, we watched him go through a series of choices that meant he was choosing pornography over Jesus, over his wife, over his children, over his ministry. And he was choosing death instead of flourishing. Another young couple we knew over the years came to Christ and had dated for many years and decided we're going to get married and we're going to do this. We're going to dive in and learn about Jesus and understand all that he has for us. And the man had struggled with pornography as well, only to find at that 10-year point again, he decided he would rather pursue that lifestyle as well and gave up his family and make more time for this in his life through all of the gadgets and gizmos that we have in this modern society and plunged headlong into that lifestyle. Another story of a man that we know of who is on his second marriage and had been addicted to pornography for so long and was so tired of it that finally, when he went to bed one night as he was waiting for his wife to come home, he left his screen on, and he, he didn't he clear his search history. He was desperate to be found out. And the next day he found a note from her that said, I found this, I'm here for you, I love you, we'll get through this together. And that man has turned and has become a voice for other men and women who want to turn and find help out of this pit that so many in the church are falling into. Even our children are being assaulted by this weapon that the enemy is using. And in our home, it has found ways to come in. And this is coming from me, uh, a mother who lives out in the country with horrible internet. It, it's not even worth going online half the time. I homeschool my kids, and it finds its way in to our homes through other students' homework on little files of attachments. Thank you very much. Or how about going to the public library, and there's a man at the public library watching pornography on public internet. 
Thank you very much for that. The enemy is going to find a way. And my own story, how I married my husband Ron out of Bible college, we're both from ministry families, we both grew up in the church, and he didn't have pornography in his life at all when we were married. We hardly knew what that was, I guess. And at the 10 to 12 year point, finding out that he too had fallen into that pit. It was also at the time where I had seen these other stories, and boy was I running scared. I was like, uh oh, here we go, and I know how this ends. But we fought, and it was grueling. And through Jesus and his work, we can overcome. And we do not have to be slaves to this sin. And that's what I'm here to share with you guys tonight. We're going to talk about pornography, and before we do that, I'm going to ask you guys to do something really brave. I don't even know if you have the guts to do this, but my hand is going up, and Krista said her hand would go up, and it's up. Look back there. I want to ask you guys, how many of us in this room have intentionally or unintentionally had pornography in our homes, whether it's personally, through someone we live with, or one of our children? Can I see how many hands would go up? I want you guys to look around at the hands. Look at them. Okay, so I'm about ready to read some statistics here for us. These are from uh, Barnard Group Research and Covenant Eyes. 11 is the average age of exposure to pornography in children. 94% of children will see pornography by age 14. Some statistics are saying by 18. Some statistics have said as young as eight years old. So I, this is free, I'm throwing this in. I realized today I needed to say this, this is a little free commercial for moms. Um, there is no PG-13 rating on this. You guys need to be talking about pornography with your children. I don't care how old they are. I read eight, this says 11, that's before 13. We need to be the ones who are the gatekeepers of our homes, so that when our children find this, not if, but when our children find this, hear the number, 94%. When our children see this, they know what it is, they know what their response is if they are in Jesus, and they know that they can talk to you about it because they feel ashamed having even viewed it. And so we need to help them. 56% of the divorces claim that they involve one party that was, had an obsessive interest in pornography. 70% of youth pastors are saying that they have at least one teen in the last 12 months, and I think that's super low. I don't even think that's an accurate statistic, personally. 68% of churchmen who are in church regularly are viewing it on a regular basis. 50% of pastors are on a regular basis. 33% of women aged 25 and under are searching for it at least once a month. Out of all the women who are claiming to be self-identified Christian women, there's only 13% of us who are saying we're not looking at pornography or we have not. The other 87% say that they have. And 7% of churches actually have a program to deal with this. So we're seeing the overwhelming numbers on the one hand with a little seven down here. So we're talking about it. We're going there. We're doing the hard thing. 
The American church is marinating in this sin. Uh, recently, my parents came back from overseas. They've spent um, their career overseas as missionaries. And they have been astounded at the state of the American church in this particular area. They have told us that the church in Spain, which is where they were, although it is tiny, will not tolerate this sin. And they deal with it through church discipline and accountability, and you repent, you turn from it. That's the expectation. I think for me a real reality check was a couple weeks ago when Crystal, she kind of paused the Ravi Zacharias study, and there was that slide up there. Does anybody remember the picture of those men being marched to their execution for loving Jesus, for following him? Probably my age. These are our brothers in Christ in another part of the world. And as I came home and I told my family that story, and I told my children that story, and I was preparing for this message, I kept breaking down. I couldn't get through it without crying because I, I said, guys, here are these people giving their lives for Jesus, and we are here in America. watching pornography, living lives of indulgent sexual sin because we can. So it's been a real wake-up call for me. Another thing that has been a wake-up call for me has been the fact that when I started this study, I thought, okay, I'm going to come in there, I'm going to address all these women and get them, you know, back on the straight and narrow from all these pornographic ways, right? And I was putting my notes together and going through all the, the right verses. And I had like a lot of notes because I get pretty wordy in my notes. And I was, Lord, why will this not come together? Why can't I, like this is not gelling. And eventually it did click. And it only clicked when I realized this. He didn't want me to address you guys. He wanted me to address us. He wanted me to address me. And the problem is not pornography, and that's your first blank, ladies. Pornography is not our problem, it is a symptom of the problem. And I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to Mark 12, 28 through 30, as the backbone of what we're going to go through tonight. Jesus was uh, discussing with the rabbis of the day. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A real problem is not pornography. Our real problem is that we have not said, Jesus, you have all of me. The thing with saying, we have, Jesus, you have all of me, the minute we decide to do that, I think the first thing, or one of the first things we need to realize is that we have an immediate enemy. Our enemy, the minute we say that we are all in, we become a target. Crystal talked about this a little bit last week as well, because I think when we're having a four-week series on sex, 
The enemy just needs to be talked about. We're in a battle, and we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Scripture tells us that. We need to know our enemy. We need to know his tactics. We need to know how he thinks. We need to train ourselves if we're going to win this battle, and this is the first part of that. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we're told to be self-controlled, to be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is to consume us and to destroy us, to engulf our lives, our minds, our hearts, our souls. He will demolish us. He's going to devastate and annihilate us. Does that sound dramatic? Listen to how Jesus describes him in John 10.10. He says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his purpose. It's been his purpose ever since the beginning. He thought he could derail humanity, and when that didn't work, he thought he could derail Jesus coming. He tried to do that for thousands of years. He hates Jesus. And if we love Jesus, and if we say, Jesus, I am all yours, you have all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, you have everything that I am, He's going to hate us, so we need to be prepared. He's not going to give up until we're destroyed or rendered useless or caught in a web of sin where we're just practically destroyed. Pornography is only one of the weapons he is using. Two tactics that the enemy is using to keep this stronghold in the area of pornography. He, he uses a lot, but I'm going to talk about two tonight. And I want to read a little bit from Genesis because he utilized them pretty efficiently there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must, must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. His first tactic that he used with Eve is isolation. And although Adam was there, it says in the next verse, by her side when they finally ate the fruit, for whatever reason, in the beginning of that section, in the beginning of their dialogue, he either didn't weigh in, or he was just silent, or he wasn't around. And so for all practical purposes, he had her to himself. He's going to find us alone. He's going to do what he came to do. And then he's going to leave us alone. He's going to find us alone, and he's going to come in, and he's going to say, did God really say, and we'll believe this grand thing, like more wisdom, or you will not surely die. And then he's going to leave us alone, in a heap. After we've had, we have just sinned and broken fellowship with him, we're by ourselves once again. What are the ways that you are feeling alone? Alone looks like a lot of different things. It isn't by yourself in a room in the dark. That is one kind of alone. There are women here tonight, and you feel alone in this room. You feel alone in your marriage. You feel alone even though you have three other roommates. You feel alone in whatever relationships you're in or in whatever work environment you're in. You feel like you're the only one. That is a position of vulnerability. 
We are meant to be a community, and our enemy knows that. So when he senses that we're alone, it is a stage for the next tactic. You can be alone in your head, and this is a big one for me. Just my thoughts. My thoughts, I'm just alone, just thinking these thoughts, and you know what, you gotta get out, you gotta air those thoughts. And that happens in a community of believers. Or maybe you really are alone, for the first time you're away from family or you're away from friends. Whatever the details of your aloneness look like, that isolation is the, is the base of where he wants to find you to set the stage for the next, the next tactic. And that next tactic, his second one, is lies. Our enemy is a liar. He is such a big, fat liar and we need to realize this, it is imperative that we understand that not only is he a liar, but all lies come from him. It's a hallmark trait. In fact, Jesus describes him like this in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. From the beginning, he has been a liar. There is no truth in him. And he speaks fluently. He speaks lies. He is the father of lies. Just in the same way that a parent teaches a child, a baby, to speak a native language, we learn lies from only one source. And that is the father of lies, our enemy. The thing is, when we first start talking to a baby, they hear everything that we say. And at first they don't say a whole lot, but then lo and behold, you know, there's the babble, and there's the word, and there's two-word sentence. And then it just, it just keeps going. And then you wonder if they're ever going to be quiet sometimes. <laughs> but that's exactly how it is with us. When you hear it enough, if, if you don't combat it with the truth, we will eventually start to speak them. And pornography is one of those things that once we have bought into that lie, we get stuck alone in a web of sin. There's no community. We feel alone. We're ashamed. We're in the dark. We're afraid no one else has ever dealt with this. Guys, did you see all the hands that were up? You know? But we still think this. It's so common. And I think, really, that's why it's flourishing. It's like that, that ridiculous thing that people say, oh, whenever I turn the lights off, the laundry multiplies. That's what pornography does in the dark. It, it multiplies, it breeds and grows in the dark, in our isolation, and in a place where we're caught in lies. In preparation for this study, I interviewed two friends of mine who have dealt with this and struggled with this and have overcome and are overcoming through Jesus and in him. And here are some of the lies that they told me that they would hear, believe, and that would throw them back into the web of this sin. One was that it was normal, that it was acceptable. And for this woman in particular, she had seen pornography from the time she was five. It was a part of her life. Her mom gave her dad, this was before the internet, pornography under the tree at Christmas, Merry Christmas. That's how she grew up. And so for her to break from that was very difficult. Or how about this one? God made me a sexual being, so it is good that I feel 
sexual and fine to express it through pornography. Or I've asked God to help me stop and he hasn't, so it's on him. I know I'm going to give in to sin. I do every time, so I might as well just stop fighting it. Or it's only hurting me, not anybody else. I'll just browse, nothing more. God will forgive me. If I read my Bible more and pray more, this will go away. I haven't read it enough or prayed enough. That's why I'm like this. I can stop whenever I want to. I am in control of this. I am not addicted. I actually have the power to do that. There are as many lies as there are truths. And these are just a few. And one of the things I noticed as I was listening to these women was that their own lies, and this is so classic of a liar, they contradicted themselves. And the more they talked and the more they told me, I started thinking, well, that doesn't even agree. But it would work. It would work. And she would fall into it, and, and another lie would work another day. And they could be different lies, like God would forgive me, or it's okay. Well, what is, why does God need to forgive you if it's okay? But that's the web, and that's what he does. I remember in our story, in mine and Ron's, I remember one day having a real epiphanal moment. And I realized one thing to be true, that pornography starts with a lie, and it ends with a liar. It was indeed true that the father of lies who had started this, and, and we had bought that lie, that then that lie began to be spoken by my husband. What we're going to do right now, we're going to talk about our identity when we come back. But at our tables, we are going to go over a few discussion questions. We're going to talk about what the lies are that the enemy is speaking in our own lives. Also, what some of his other tactics are in getting us to fall into this sin and other sins. And then we'll come back and talk about our identity. Thank you, guys. We're going to talk about our identity. Because who we are is paramount, it is foundational to fighting this battle, or really any spiritual battle, for that matter. But before I start this section, I have to ask all of us. When it comes to the Bible, the book that we use, the reason why we come here to learn from this book, we have to actually decide if we're going to believe that this is the book that is really going to rule our lives. Do we really believe that these are God's words to us? And I really appreciated uh, Jeremy's Sunday sermon this week. I don't know how many of you were here, but um, it was awesomeness. And he basically talked about how we need to take what we feel and put it under submission of what God says. And um, that's the truth. The Bible needs to be our final authority for those of us who are saying, Jesus, you have all of me. All of his words become 
all of the government in our lives. And that's where we're going to find who we are. In this book, we see not only what Jesus has done, but because of what he has done, who we are in him. And your first blank on this one is when we decide to follow Jesus, when we say, Jesus, you have all of me, we are given a new identity. And with this knowledge, we're able to say to our enemy and to sin, yes to righteousness. We're able to say no to our enemy and to sin. And we're able to say yes to righteousness. Simply by knowing who we are, by standing in the place of who we are, by standing in our identity, or stepping into it by faith, even though we may not see that it is true. I had fun researching this section because I went online and I thought, you know, how many kings am I in Christ? I wonder if there was a list I could find. So I found these lists. One of them had 90 things that we are in Christ. 90. But then when I kept reading my Bible, I kept finding more. And so tonight we're just going to talk about two of them because that's all we have time for. But these two, I think, are really helpful in this particular struggle. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And in Romans 6, 17 and 18, But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Who we are is a new creation. We are a new creation. We're not modified or tweaked or improved. We have not been given a makeover. We are new. We are no longer controlled by sin. We are controlled by righteousness. The word addiction in the English language and slavery in the enslavement sense are so similar, and in fact, one of the synonyms for addiction is enslavement. We are no longer controlled by sin, we are controlled by righteousness. Do we believe that? It's who we are. It's, it's who scripture says we actually are. It's not what we have to do to become that. We are that. And so what's that tension there? What does that look like? I think even in the community of believers, we focus a lot on the struggle. We focus on, on where we're at instead of moving forward or, as I say, pulling ourselves up by our identity. We need to find our identity and, and pull it up because it's there. It's us. That's what we need to walk in by faith and step into by faith. So that looks like sometimes just commiserating about sin how hard it is, how the struggle is real. Yes, yes, true, both true. But who are we? We're not slaves to that. We're made new, we're new creations. We are controlled by righteousness. Our righteousness is Jesus Christ. I'm not here to preach perfection because there isn't any when it comes to us. And you hear me saying it, there isn't. The struggle is real. But God's word is perfect. It is complete, it is finished, 
And in him, guess what? So are we. I love this. So the tension that we have between I feel like I'm still that guy back there isn't our reality. But the enemy will keep us there as long as we stay there. I'll say, no, you're the guy. You're the pornographer. You're the liar. You're the whatever. You're the angry person, the person who isn't forgiving. In this area, you know, see that? Yeah, Jesus doesn't have all of you because you're that. That's why. Nope. That's not, that's not how it works. We are who we are because Jesus made us that way. We don't have to do a single thing. Paul prayed for us that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be enlightened in order that we would know the hope to which we have been called. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which raised Christ from the dead, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Who we are, number two, we are filled with power. The power that we are given, it says, is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Are you guys getting that? The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is what we have been given. I don't get it. I don't. I've been thinking about it for months, actually. We don't get it. It's so awesome, you know? We have that power, the power that raised Christ from the dead. You know, sometimes I can't even get out of bed, let alone thinking about having the kind of power that would have to be exerted over another human being to raise them up. That's the same mighty power that we have been given. It is incomparably great. There's no comparison. And that's who we are. Do you know why the enemy is having such a heyday with this particular sin? Why there is such a stronghold? And as you talked at your tables, why so many of you are saying, yep, me too. It's in my home as well. Do you know why? Because the power in this room is out of this world. Literally. It is literally out of this world. We need to know it. We need to step into that power. We are in Christ. We are a force to be reckoned with. We're told that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is the power to live a godly life. It equips us with everything we need for life and for godliness. Not some of what we need, not most of what we need. We have everything, and what do we have everything for? For our life. That's, that's all of it, guys. We have this life. We have everything we need for this life to be godly, to be like Jesus. We've been given everything we need to be like Jesus. Everything. That is who we are. Do you think the enemy wants us to remember that? Do you think he wants me to say this to you tonight? You guys should have seen how my week went this week. I mean, 
Even my son this morning when I was walking down the stairs and I stepped on the paver and I tweaked my ankle and walked on my ankle instead of my foot, it was really not fun. He said, man, the enemy does not want you teaching tonight. I told Ron a couple days ago, I said, you know, I'm just waiting for it now. Like, I give up. You know, this is just all over. He doesn't want me to say these things to you. He doesn't want you to remember. He doesn't want any one of you to say it to each other. So we need to say it. We need to stand up, pull up our identities, stand on them, walk in them, and shut out the noise. He's going to say, that's who you are. That's who you were. That's who you will always be. No. We need to step into our power. And we have that through Jesus. We don't have to do anything to get it. It's ours. We're going to talk about our strategy next. And before I do that, I want to tell you a story about my son. My son, Wesley, who is 17 and a half, and he's serving in middle school right now, and um, he's working with a small group with some friends of ours. And he came home from one of his small group nights um, a few weeks ago. He was pretty depressed, actually. And so it kind of went on for a few hours, and I finally kind of gently tiptoed in that direction, and I said, you know, you seem kind of discouraged. Like, what's up? And he said, Mom, these guys, they just don't get it. Well, they are middle schoolers. I mean, he said, they're fighting over chairs. They're like, oh, I know the answer. And then when you call them, they're like, just trying to get attention. He said, Mom, I would be happy if there was one kid in there who just got it. And, but what he said next was, was really the heart of what, what he was struggling with. He said, Mom, there's a 12-year-old that came and told the leaders that he is addicted to pornography. 12. Say, we're throwing out the PG-13 thing again. And he said, Mom, don't people realize that when we decide to follow Jesus, we actually have to pick up our cross and leave our sin behind us? And we have to move toward the new creation that we are? My 17-year-old preached the gospel to me in my kitchen. And as I was preparing for these notes and I was going kind of in this direction, I was like, holy smokes. <laughs> like, I just, he schooled me. And I'm so thankful for that. In Jesus' own words in Luke 9, 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And in Luke 14, he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You guys, to be a disciple, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. If we do not, we cannot be his disciple. The clarity of Jesus' words kind of scare me. And they really get my attention. Because he uses words like must. There's not a lot of wiggle room with that. We don't get to choose whether or not we feel like it. It's must. And he says, if we do not, we can not be his disciple. 
I, ha I have a hard time finding any wiggle room there either. And so we're really going to have to contend with this issue of pornography, and are we going to continue to say, oh, it's just this thing that I struggle with? Are we going to stay there? Are we really going to do like the hovercraft thing there? Or are we going to actually say, God says it, and my life is going to go in that direction? Because he says that if I do not, I cannot be his disciple. It, isn't, it doesn't seem easy because it isn't. But there's tension there too. Because we're also told by John that this is loving God to obey his commands and that his commands are not burdensome. So there's something about stepping into that obedience, that cycle of obedience, that it brings light and life and flourishing to us. That what seems heavy and hard and impossible, if we will just for a minute, just for a minute, bend down and pick up that cross and shut out the noise and leave who we were behind us and walk forward, it's a game changer. Hebrews 12 says it well. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. All my heart means all my desires and my affections, everything that I want when I pick up my cross, all the things that I used to want, I shut out the noise, and I said, nope, enemy, nope, I'm not that person. What I desire now is all my heart for Jesus. All my mind means all my thoughts. All my soul means all my being. All my strength means all that I do. You guys yell out if there's any area that we are not to be giving to Jesus. He's got it all covered and uses the word all four times. He wants all of us. And so as we move forward tonight, it is a matter of picking up our cross in such a way that when the enemy comes in and he says, I see that you are this other thing, we say, nope. Not that anymore. I'm going to pull myself up by my identity. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to move forward, and my eyes are only on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of my faith. Jesus has all of me. He has all of me. It's picking up our cross daily. It's silencing the noise by owning our identity. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, not behind us. Leaving our sin in our past, where Jesus leaves it. As a daily act of worship, it is saying, Jesus, you do have all of me. There's a lot of people in this room, so I know we're coming from a lot of different places. And um, if this is your first study at Blue Ridge, yay, we're glad to have you here. Or maybe you're just 
You don't even know if you're following Christ. You're just figuring this out. Tonight, you're going to own where we're at. If you want to know more, that's where you're at. That's a great place to be. Some of us have been following Christ for a while, and yet, you may find yourself caught in this web. And it's really tricky because owning that is really tough. But we're told in James 5:16 to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. Simona brought that up at our table tonight. That's what we need to do. If we want healing, if we want to move forward, if we really do want to leave that guy back there and follow Jesus today, that's what it's going to take. It's pretty hard. And you know what? I've been there, and I have not wanted to have those conversations with people. Or maybe pornography is not our specific struggle. It wasn't for me going into this study. But I'll tell you what. That didn't mean this study didn't eat my lunch. Because it has eaten my lunch. And Jesus has shown me area after area after area. He wants more of me. He wants all of me. He wants all of me. And I'm saying, bring it. I'm saying, I am all in. That's what I'm saying. And I want all of us to say that tonight. That is my prayer for all of us. I want to let you guys know that I love you. And um, thank you for letting me share tonight.